Hello and welcome to Jumpstart Weekly, the weekly podcast where we read all the chapters in Shonen Jump on Viz's website, as well as something else. I'm your host, Jeremy. And I'm your host, Kevin. And this week we read Toriko, which is a series I've wanted to look at for a while because it's one of Viz's, it's Viz, it's one of Toei's big animation projects along with Dragon Ball and One Piece. Yep. Which I'm a big fan of. So I always wanted to give Toriko a look, especially since it's the most recent of those. Yep. But before that, we have a lot of Shonen Jump to get through because it was a pretty big issue this week. Yeah. Starting with One Piece Chapter 950, A Soldier's Dream. Also, full disclosure, I read all these a couple nights ago because we didn't record the time we normally do. So my memory is not super good, so I'm going to have to rely even more on my notes, which is not good because my notes are to remind me of things, not to tell me what happened. Yep. So this picks up kind of where the last went off, where... Luffy is hiding the fact that he's sick while Chopper treats him. He's not so much hiding the fact. He's just off in sickbay because if anybody touches him, they'll get infected. Yeah, but they have a talk about how he's like pretend he was pretending he wasn't infected at all. Yeah, well, he was pretending right when he was turning everybody around. But Chopper was like, you know, because you could even tell in the drawing last chapter that like he was clearly being affected by the thing. He was just struggling through it. And the soldiers that are still kind of on the fence are kind of swayed when Momonosuke shows up and gives a speech. And they're like, he is a symbol, basically, to help unite them all well, after yeah. Luffy did the brunt of the work. Well, yeah, because the son of the Lord is still alive. Yeah. I just like the beat. And also, Kid, Captain Kid is like, I'm out of here. I'm not taming up to fight Kaido. Are you crazy? I'm done. With, well, I really like where he's like, I'm done with alliances because he was in that alliance with the music guy and Hawkins. Yeah. And that fell through. So he's like, screw you guys. Uh, my just my you know, just kid is out. Yep. <laughs> he's like, have fun. I'm going home. I'm, I'm reforming my metal arm and leaving with my oddly laughing killer. <laughs> Come on, killer. Let's get out of here. Yep. That really makes it sound like they're boyfriends, which I don't hate that interpretation. Yep. But I know it is just his name. Yeah. Meanwhile, Zoro just has to keep killing ninjas as they come after Momonosuke's sister. Yep. And he's like, oh, I gotta get my sword back because the weight doesn't feel right on these. Does this also have the bit with... I didn't write the character's name down because I didn't write any notes about this, but the thief character whose name I can't remember talking to Dogstorm and Kinemon and be like, yeah, yeah, I'll join you. And he's like, yeah, like we got tired of waiting for you. And I told everybody, hey, we gotta wait for Kinemon. But they're like, hey, we're young now in 20 years. We'll be super old. Yeah, and we won't be able to fight. Yeah, so he brought Kinemon and Dogstrom. Well, Dogstrom uh, knew about it. I know he okay. was there, but I thought someone else was with Kinemon that had been in part of the time skip to the forest of graves of all of the people that were like, you know, we only waited ten years, and they kind of were like, hey, we've got to do it now. Uh, they came up with a, it was like Sunachi or something like that. It was like a phrase that they used to I they made themselves pirates or they made themselves a band or something like that and all ended up dying and the cliffhanger at the end is law has been captured as we kind of knew already and they're going to interrogate him about the plan yep although hawkins seems super distracted about something because they're all standing there and i forget who it is says to him but like are, are you okay hawkins and he's like what? oh yeah we need to interrogate you and find out what's going on and law just has a smirk on his face like I will never talk, ever. And also, if I told you the plan, Luffy would have changed it 12 times already, so... Yep. I could tell you the plan, if we had one. 
yeah, so pretty good chapter of One Piece this week, at least I thought. Yeah, very good. Which leads us to Science vs. Magic Chapter 1, which is a one-shot, but somehow I didn't see the giant one-shot banner on this when I was first reading it. So the whole time I was like, man, how are they going to like make this an entire series? Oh, yeah, that's weird. Like they, there was a banner on the top of the thing when you click on it, and then there was like at the start of it was like a new one shot by, and the artist was Murata, and I don't know who the story guy was. Uh, I should have looked into it. What did you think of Science vs. Magic, Kevin? I actually really liked Science vs. Magic. I really liked Murata as an artist, so I thought the art was really cool, and I thought this was definitely because I knew it was a one shot going in. I had a lot of fun with uh so they eventually had there's the si- kingdom of science and the kingdom of magic and they used to have wars and go to battle with one another but now they've kind of mellowed out and they just hold a martial arts tournament every it's 3 not, years. It's not even a martial arts tournament, it's just one match. Yeah, I guess it's, it's it's an exhibition match. They actually call it that. It's a an exhibition match between the kingdom of science and the kingdom of magic. And it reads very much like a rocky style boxing match rather than a typical shonen martial arts tournament yeah anyway the two contestants this time are a magic fist master named reita and a cyborg boxer named onigoro okumuasawa there we go i almost did it sure everyone just calls him onigoro that's true well it's because it's his name yes turns out they're friends and they became friends when onigoro kept trying to fight Reita because everyone said he was super great and Onigoro wanted to defeat him. Yep. So much so that he got banned from the Kingdom of Magic. Yeah, because he kept sneaking in and attacking the guy. And they're like, listen, you've got to stop attacking our citizens. You are not allowed in here anymore. I do love that he like goes to the Border Patrol and they like are like, no, you can't come in. Yep. That might be my favorite part of this because I actually found it kind of disappointing. I did like that twist that they're friends and like Wraith has to go to the Kingdom of Science so they can drink together when yep. they both are a point of the people who are going to fight. And I do like a lot of the art, in particular the way Onigoro's drawn. Like, I really like his boxing style. Yep. But I feel like the Magic Fist stuff, like, that's what I'm here for. It's like, ah, oh, it's ma- martial arts that use magic. I want to play that Pathfinder class. But I feel like nothing was really done with it. Uh, it was kind of just like he used water to, like, do cool skating moves around the guy and was shooting fire out of his attacks like it they were really only focusing on two of the elements yeah like it it would have been cooler to add more in but this was a one shot i thought it was still pretty sweet and it was more focused on the martial arts than the magic it was just like martial arts enhanced by magic rather than like a monk trying to then cast spells yeah but i would have still liked to see some more like magic on the martial arts because I feel like this wouldn't really be any different a story if he was just a martial artist versus a big cyborg. I guess then it has sort of a rocky feel of you're the underdog, maybe. Yeah. But if it was just like kind of mystic martial arts, I think that would be fine, too. Like Goku martial arts. I, that, that's kind of what it is, though. Like yeah, they call guess... it magic and they they mention that it's elemental magic. And it's like, that's basically what he's doing. He's not a wizard. You know, he's that way of the four elements monk who can do some stuff with the elements. I just found it disappointing that that wasn't leaned into more. And I also found the end not anticlimactic, but obviously one of these people has to win. And I didn't think the characters were strong enough for me to really care either way. And I felt like Onigoro was actually the stronger character. So in Reita Wan, it kind of felt not like the wrong choice, but kind of off to me. And like, if you're going to tell another story, that could be an interesting place to like diverge it. But 
I didn't see a narrative reason why Raida should have won over Onigoro. I guess there is the Rocky One thing of Onigoro went the distance, so to speak, but yep. it's not really that Rocky arc. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to say about Science vs. Magic? No, like I said, I liked it. I enjoyed Murata, and I thought it was kind of cool how they, again, it was, like you said, it was more martial arts than magic, and that didn't bother me, because I think it would have been weird having a wizard fight a cyborg boxer, and so it's some dude flying around throwing fireballs at him. I just wanted to see some more elemental stuff. I didn't necessarily want to see, like, full-on magic or, like, bending. I just wanted to see, like, oh, now I'm going to use my lightning style to kind of change the way this works. Yeah. For the audience, what is some other stuff Murata has done? He's the One Punch Man yeah. artist, and then he's also, he did Ice Shield 21. Just in case anyone hasn't listened to our episodes where we talk about those. Gotcha. So next we have My Hero Academia's chapter 237, Tomura Shigaraki Origin, which is, I don't want to say more of the same, but... Yeah, it's just kind of moving along. We get a lot more of All for One in this. Yep. And, like, seeing his perspective on it is pretty cool. Uh, it, like, kind of changes the tone of it in a lot of way. Yep. How he talks about how, like, there was no one there to help him after he killed his whole family, and that's kind of what drove him down. Yeah. And, like, literally, if one person had done anything about him, he probably wouldn't have ended up this way. Well, and someone did. It was just a person who wanted to make it worse. Yeah. But he was... It was, it was like Tomura's inner monologue, thinking back on it, like, man, if, like, any of the other people that I saw that day had done anything, rather than just been like, this kid's weird, I'm gonna leave. Like, we're in a society of heroes, and All for One is the first guy to find me. Yeah. And also, a lot of this is from All for One's point of view, which isn't a problem. I find it a pretty effective bit of the storytelling. Like I said, it changes the tone of this a little bit. But there's a lot of, uh, in hindsight, stuff where he was kind of like, I wasn't here for this part of the flashback. Yep. And it does end with us going back into the present time, and Gigantamachi has showed up, and he hasn't been slowed down at all by the Revolutionary Army. Yeah, and they realize that Gigantamachi has kind of just been toying with them. Yeah. Uh, this is him going all out, and they're like, man, they're not whittling down his HP at all. And we also see, so there was a lot more info on the hands for Tomura, and the whole fact that he had been constantly holding back his power after first using it that way. So, like, even when he was... You know, he had that mental barrier, and that was kind of one of the reasons he wore the hands was it was literally people holding him back. And so I really like the fact that at the cliffhanger, he rips off father and disintegrates it. Yeah. To kind of, like, symbolize him breaking through his barriers. Yep. I do like where it's going. I like this chapter of My Hero, but I, I'm more excited to get out of this flashback than I was to see it resolve. Yeah. And that, we do get out at the end. Yeah. So. And that, that was, so, like, I still liked it, but it was like, all right, cool. That was a good ending to the flashback. And I'm, I am starting to go like, all right, let's like, you know, get back to the heroes. Yeah. I've been there for a little while now. Yeah. Next, we have Demon Slayer chapter 168, Never Disappear. I'm going to be honest, did not super care for this chapter of Demon Slayer. Really? No, it wasn't bad. It just felt very much like a beat and like one we didn't need. I don't know. A lot of it is from the, oh, what? What Hashira is he? Wind Hashira. The Wind Hashira's point of view, and kind of, not his origin exactly, but him as a younger demon slayer. Yep. And like, how he basically, because he was so skilled, always outlived his partners. Yeah. 
Uh, well, it, and it wasn't also necessarily that he was so skilled. It was the fact that demons got drunk on his blood. So because they were drunk, they weren't reacting correctly and he could take them down. Yeah. And there's kind of a bit where he calls out the leader of the Hashira, but then the leader of the Hashira kind of impresses him by just knowing all the names of the demon slayers who have died. Yeah. Well, he's also like, I can't believe you're the leader of the demon slayer core. You can't even wield a sword. And the guy being like, well... I tried, but, like, I could swing it three or four times, and then I was out of breath. So, this is the only thing I could do. And then, like you said, he impressed him with the, while I might not be good in physical standing, I remember, I know all the names of all the dead demon slayers. And the Windhasher is like, I don't even remember all of the names of my partners that died. Yeah, I don't know. I just, like I said, it seemed kind of cliche to me, and I didn't really get any purchase in me. I didn't hate it. It's not like, ah, oh, Demon Slayer's really gone downhill. Mm. I just, this chapter didn't really do anything for me. Okay. Did you have a better opinion of it? I mean, I feel like no, yeah, you I, just explained it. Yeah, I really liked it. I liked the art on some of the attacks. We have one of the other Hashiras coming in to help out as the cliffhanger for it. I believe he's the Earth Hashira. Yeah, my note literally just says, someone else is here. <laughs> yeah. We've met him before. I figured we had. I, I haven't. He uses a giant ball and chain. It's really cool. That does sound cool. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. So that's probably why, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, that guy's here. And I still liked some of the attacks with the moon breathing first rank of the demons that I can't remember there. The upper moon. The upper moon. There we go. The upper moon one. Like he some of his attacks were still pretty cool. Next, we have Act Age Scene 75, Hanako's Picture, which actually I liked quite a bit more. I feel like I'm being negative on a chapter, so I want to say I really enjoyed this week's Shonen Jump. I'm just being kind of critical of it. Yeah, like, I really enjoyed this week's one as well. I had not planned on reading it all in one sitting because I didn't think I was going to have the time or energy, and it just kind of ended up happening, mm -hmm. um, which is part of why I don't remember it so well, is because that was a while ago now, and I just sat down and ended up reading through it all. Yep. And Act Age is one that I liked quite a bit. It starts with Ogami introducing himself like he's a brand new character and everybody kind of commenting on it. Yeah. They're like, now he's like on board and he's like, yo, I'm Ogami. I'm going to be a supporting character of this. I hope we all do well together. Yep. Well, because I don't think he actually introduced himself. When he did not. Yeah. So like he just showed up and he's like, all right, now I'm actually here. So Hanako, who is the director, is like, yeah, well. I want to direct this play, but also I do not understand people. So let's paint, because that is what I understand, painting. Yep. And she paints like a barren desert landscape. And Ogabe talks about how like her paintings are actually super, super valuable, because she is a talented artist. It's not him, actually. It's the one other male actor it, okay. in the group that mentions to Kay. Because she's like, wow, she's really good, and Kay is about to go paint on the painting, because that's what the director is like, all right, so here's the barren wasteland, uh, paint whatever you want, and Kay's about to go paint something, and the guy's like, wow, her painting, I can't believe she's letting us do this, her paintings usually go for millions of dollars, and that kind of like locks Kay down of like, oh god, because she's been so poor that she can't believe that this thing worth millions of dollars is just sitting here and being, you know, messed with by people. So basically the rest of the chapter is just Hanako psychoanalyzing people based on what they drew. Yep. Which is kind of cliche, but it's not awful. Ogami draws himself, which is very in keeping with his character. Yep. But then I like how she kind of breaks it down. She's like, 
well, honestly, I expected you to take up more space. Uh, you know, why didn't you take up a whole painting? And then Ogami was like, well, then there wouldn't be any room for anyone else. And so, like, even though he painted himself, he was, like, in the background and still thinking about other people, even though he's yeah. just very self-assured about himself. Yeah, I like that, like, he thinks that he's the most important thing in the world, but he's not the only thing in the world. Yes. Is kind of what his perspective is, yeah. which I liked. Then one of the actresses draws a lake of milk. Yes. Because it's a dry desert. Well, at first she thinks it's water, and she was like, well, okay. And then she's like, yeah, it's a lake of steamed milk. Uh, you can make it for, like, tea or stuff. And the director's like, okay. She's a bit more creative than I thought. Yeah, I don't remember what Kay ends up drawing, actually. Nothing. Nothing? She just doesn't draw anything? Yeah, okay. she literally doesn't draw anything. Gotcha. Because she gets paralyzed by fear about the I thought painting cost millions of dollars. Anyway, Ogami's like, hey, this painting sucks. Like, I've seen your paintings before. Clearly, this isn't, like, from your heart. Yeah, what? you made us draw something from the heart, so... You have to do And then she just draws hell over the... It's a bunch of flames. Yeah. You know, it's a very Christian renaissance well, hell. Yes, but specifically she doesn't draw hell. I she know. draws a bunch of flames. But, mm. like, it's definitely got that feeling to it. Like, that Christian renaissance hell painting. But I guess there are no suffering people. It is just fire. Yeah, I was like, it's literally just fire. And that's why she wants to do this play. Because of... Kay kind of notices that it's like, oh, so this is like the internal fire in the mountain. Kind of like that's part of your play. And Hanukkah was like, yeah, that's kind of why I wanted to write this, to, like, understand my own feelings. And then Ogami is like, I want this painting. And gets it. Yeah. And Kay is like, but but it's so valuable. Yep. <laughs> goes, I don't care, I just want it. He's like, I like this one. Because she just drew over everything that they did. Yeah. And the kind of cliffhanger is the other cast trying to be like, oh man, we have to beat Kay and Ogami now that they're working together. Hey, don't we have a director too? Yep. And the cliffhanger is just the director. Like, just, it looks like he's staring there vacantly, but I think it's just the way the image is. I don't think that's actually what we're supposed no, to do. No, the it. first thing we see is a shot of a bunch of different, like, videos and, like, CDs and magazines. And to me, it looks like he's, it's like watching football reel. Yeah. Like, he's, like, watching a everything. Bunch of different screens. Well, it's one screen, but it looks like he's been watching a bunch of stuff. Like, all right, I'm trying to get a feel for these actors, the play, whatever. I Like, we don't exactly know what he's looking at, but it's like he's doing research. But it's just drawn like he's watching TV and kind of has that vacant look is what I'm saying. I think you are right. I definitely didn't get the vacant look at all. Like, he's hunched over forward towards the screen. Like, he's, like, super intent at it. As opposed to if he were vacant, it would be more leaned back. back. Yeah. So next we have, we never learn chapter 121. Sometimes a level beast causes a tumultuous X. And I was going to say, what happened in this chapter if we never learn? And then I read my notes and one of them is yarn bondage. And I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah, for her, she's no furry. <laughs> That's, it's like she's only a metaphor furry, I think. No, she grows a tail. I think that's a metaphor. The I'm cat not... is playing with it. <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> so for how she can't study because she has to cat sit and her dad is allergic to cats yep so you gives to her place to study well at first she's like i can't then she hears in the background like no don't touch that stop doing that and he's like i'm so worried what's going on and that's when he finds out that they're cat sitting yeah and dad's like i'm not allergic to cats she's like, yeah her dad you are go to school go to your job we'll be here studying it won't be suspicious no hijinks will ensue we promise we yep. promise. And so then the cat is playing with yarn and ties them together. 
Well, first it steals the book, or their, like, notebook. There's a bunch of different shenanigans, so it steals the notebook and goes under the Kotatsu, and Yugi gets a panty shot chasing after it. Then, in order to get the book back, Furuhashi brings out a ball of yarn, and they're like, alright, yeah, it took the yarn instead of the notebook, and then it ties them together. And there's just, there's a bunch of stuff going on. There's at one point, the cat is sitting in Yugi's lap. And Furuhashi has a mental image of it being her instead. Well, because the cha- the cat's name is like Fumo-chan. It's Fumi. Fumi. And so Yugi's like, oh, Fumi-chan, you're such a good kitty. You're so yep. good. <laughs> He's petting the yep. cat. And Fumino's like, oh, I wish that was me. Yep. So that's when she turns into a furry, at least in her mind. Yes. Uh, sitting in Yugi's lap getting petted. Yes. So then at the end, Yugi falls asleep. And so she just, like, lays in his lap, like, he, he will never know, it's fine. She accidentally lays in his lap. She's, like, she starts kind of falling asleep, too, and then falls over and notices that she's in his lap, but he starts petting her like she's the cat. Yeah. And she's like, well, I, I'll just stay here for a little bit. It, it'll be fine. Just just a little bit longer. Yeah. And it shares a chapter if we never learn. Yep. Which is fun, as always. If we're getting a lot more of the one-shots again, which I don't mind. Yeah. And that leads us to The Last Sayuki Chapter 21, Lost in Translation, which is basically just an origin for, I guess technically an origin for Koharu, but the story of Ryunosuke's mom and how she made Koharu. Yep. And specifically how his mom and dad met and how his dad was really close to the true human form until he met his mother. Yep. And she kind of softened him out of it. Well, and also they mentioned that the one apple-headed dude was like, this person is the closest person to being the true human form besides me. And Ryunosuke's dad met her and was like, but she has like emotions and stuff. How is that possible? Yeah. We also learned that Faroka's moo is half-hearted. Or th- well, it bas- basically, he is not good. He do- he also has emotions. So. Yep. Like, which we've already known. It's, we've already been heavily hinted that. It's even what the like chaos guy told him. Yep. And we've seen it with him and his relationship with Estelle. But Ryunosuke's dad is basically like, yeah, it really is true. Like, think about, like, how much Moo we need. And, like, you're one of the masters. You're one of the best at it right now. Yeah. And you're, like, lacking in all these ways. And, like, I was ahead of you until I re- met Ryunosuke's mom. And she kind of ruined me is not the words he uses. Yeah. Because he, like, is very happy with the relationship he had. Yeah. But because he of those strong emotions, he no longer has the power he used to. And the apple-headed guy is even like, oh man, I was worried about losing this person so close to the true human form, but it's totally worth it for the, like, result. Yeah, the perfect Koharu. Yeah. And they talk about how, since she has no arms, like, to feel with, that makes her closer to the true human form. Yeah, she has has no legs, so she can't, literally can't touch the ground. Yep, and she can't see, so she can't be blinded by illusions. Yeah. Like, it was very cool. And then the cliffhanger, I guess before the cliffhanger... So the way that Kahara was born was Kahara's mom goes into a coma dream thing and gets killed. And if she makes a sound, she gets pulled out of the dream. But every time she's killed, she's resurrected. Yeah. And if she does it 12 times, then Kahara will be born. Not specific Kahara, but like they'll build a new body for Kay. And like it was in the tales. And so his mom goes under and then it's like. Ryunosuke's dad is like, it's it's been a really long time. Shouldn't she have woken up by now? It should have only taken a couple minutes. And the app highlighted guy is like, well, that 12 times thing was just an estimate. 
she'll actually stay in there until she makes a sound. But, like, the longer she stays, the stronger Kaharu is. Yeah. yeah. Which is a very shonen idea. Yep. It was a pretty downer chapter of Last Sayuki, though. Yeah. Because the, literally, the first thing, the thing that woke her out of the coma was her saying goodbye to Ryanosuke. So, like, that was what created Koharu. Yeah. And then it was like, yeah, it, bored, it built the perfect Koharu, but something was wrong because Koharu was crying, like, as she was born. Yeah. And so I assume we're going to get more of this next week. I'm terrified of Last Sayuki ending pretty close soon here because this is about where Hell Warden and uh, Neolation. Neolation got canceled. It's a possibility. My two babies, my, my, my precious, perfect Last Sayuki, and my dumb idiot Yui Kamiyo are both on the chopping block right now, and it's very scary. Yep. Yui Kamiyo chapter even had the word conclusion in the title this week, and I was like, oh no. But then it kept, it, it's still going, so we'll so talk far. about that later, though. Next, we have Samurai 8, Chapter 12, Who and Why. And I actually really like this chapter of Samurai 8 again. I actually remember what happened in it, mostly. Yep. I did really like this chapter. There is specifically one panel that really confused me. Same with, I think it's the same, like one of the action panels, right? Yeah, where there's three of Akito or whatever the the demon samurai's name is. Yeah. There's like three of them, and it's like, why? What? It, and it doesn't seem to have, like, speed lines like it's showing him through a motion of an attack. There's just suddenly three of him, and it's never addressed again. Like I said, I had a similar problem in Chapter 1 of Samurai 8 that has kind of gone away since then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But some of the action in this chapter, that panel, and there was, like, another one where, uh, like, someone was jumping fr- in front of Hachimaru that I also was like, this is really hard to tell what's going on here. Yeah. For me, it was just the fact that there were three of them. And I was like, what? There's suddenly three of them, and I, I don't know why and they don't address it either like most of the action seemed fine it was just that which really confused me but there's some good shonen stuff in here in particular we find out that because of the cybernetics and stuff in them like samurai can't bleed out but if their courage fades then like the warrior god abandons them yep and so that's when they will actually die not of blood loss but yeah so they basically as long as they have courage they can't be killed yeah so, like, he spe- says it specifically that the only way a samurai can die is if they give up, uh-huh. which is a pretty cool It's idea. very shonen. Yes. <laughs> There's also a bunch of stuff with Hachimaru and his dad, and a bunch of flashbacks to that relationship, yep. which I'm really liking, because like I said at the start of this series, it reminds me a lot of Aruka and, and Naruto's relationship, yep. but a problem I've always had with that is Aruka just kind of fades into the background after that first story. Yep. So it's really nice to see this emphasized and to have more of it. Yep. Well... Except for the fact that his dad is probably dead. Yeah, but that's a resolution, right? Yes, that not is a resolution. The, I'm not saying Iruka should have died, but Iruka was basically dead after that first chapter. Yeah, it was honestly, yeah, it was a little bit more annoying that it was like, all right, so yeah, you, you know, there's this Iruka guy, and then he doesn't show up basically for another like 70 chapters or something like that. And even then it's like, oh, hey, Iruka sensei, hey, how's it going? I guess that is how your relationship with your old teachers usually goes, but it does feel odd. Yep. So I really like stuff with Hachimaru's dad. And again, I don't really like how it resolved, but I did like the line where Hachimaru's like, hey, I bragged until a lot of embarrassing lies. I'm sorry. Yep. Like, I was just a crybaby with my dad, and I don't want him to die. Yep, and he kind of he kind of gets his own courage in the fight, and so that's why he's able to stand up to Aki. Yeah. Stand up to Aki. And then Hayataro comes to help him out, and the other samurai guy comes to help him out. 
Yeah, and his master is like, oh, man, I need to regenerate, so I'm going to go to sleep. It'll only take, like, five minutes, but, like, please hold out until... Yeah, well, because he was like, I'm regenerating right now, but it's taking too long, so if I go into sleep mode, I'll regenerate quicker, but I won't be able to, like, I'll... And so if I go to sleep for three minutes, as opposed to waiting to regenerate for three minutes, I'll be back at more fighting strength. So, like, just hold that till then. Yeah. It was very cool. Yeah, I liked it a lot. And last but not least, we have The Promised Neverland, Chapter 144, Help Us. What did you think of Promised Neverland this week, Kevin? Kind of transition-y. It's moving forward, and I appreciate that energy, but I agree with you. There, there's a whole bunch of stuff that, like, is still unresolved, right? Yeah. Like, Emma ha- has also escaped, and it's only been a couple hours. I shouldn't say escaped. She's also back in the real world. Yep. But we don't find out what she gave the demon, and, like, it's kind of teased also. Yep. Where the like, race kind of like, hey, what about the reward? And she's like, oh, that. That was simple. Yep. But I'll tell you about it later. And so, like, all these disparate storylines are like, we need to get to the capital. Yeah. So, like, everybody's coming together, which is great. But it was kind of just like that. It was a chapter of everybody coming together. Yeah. Well, they're not even coming together. It's everybody deciding, hey, this is where the climax of at least this story is going to take place. Yeah. So we all got to get there. Gilda and Mananju. Is that her name? Something Sonia like that. and Mukuji. Mukuji. I was thinking Mukuji. I think. And they're like, hey, we got to get to the capital. We got to stop Norman. Emma and Ray are like, hey, we got to stop Norman. Norman's like, hey, I am Norman. I've got to <laughs> kill all these. I've got to kill all the demons. <laughs> yeah. We also have the expeditionary force gets taken down by Makuji, and then it turns out that the Lambda dudes that are with them are having, like, a drug withdrawal. Essentially, they need their medicine, and it's been happening, like, we've known it's been happening more and more recently, because one of the Fancy Five, I don't know what they're actually called, but one of the Fancy Five was like, oh man, we've been needing our medicine, like, more and more often recently. And so it happened to, I'm going to call them one of the Atoms, the giant baby people. Yeah. And that's kind of what, I mean, they were still doomed anyway, but that's what diffused the situation was even the demons were like, well, we need to do something like. We don't want to kill a bunch of humans. We're team. Humans are pretty okay. Well, yeah, even the, even when Makuji had jumped the one guy, he was like, if you leave, I'll let you live. Like, just back away. I've beaten you. You guys can't win anymore. Like, just, just back down and we're done. Yeah. So I liked it, but again, like you said, it was kind of transitioning. It's setting up where the climax is going to be. Yep. And that brings us to Jump Card. Jump card is the segment where we rank all the series from best to worst this week. I guess we go worst to best, huh? We can yep. start at the bottom, including the ones we didn't talk about this week. So what do you have at number 19, Kevin? Well, this week, there was a chapter of Food Wars that came out. Oh, yeah. Food Wars did come out this week, but we didn't rank it, and nor did we talk about it, because we're going to do that next week. Yeah, our buddy Zach is going to be on next week, and he's a big Food Wars fan, so we thought it'd be nice to... Have him be able to talk about the new Food Wars chapter. So number 19, 
I have double Taisei. Because I still don't care. I am caring a little more. I like the Majin idea. Like, that's just... I don't know what it is about it, but that title is always exciting to me. And I thought this chapter picked up a little. I still don't super care. I mean, I think it's a poor series. I think it's off to such a bad start. I don't know that there's any saving it. But I did like it a little bit more than some of the other chapters this week. I have Beast Children at number 19. Because while I normally like that a little bit more than you, this chapter just like kind of felt like nothing to me. And there are all these characters, and I'm like, who's this guy? Yeah. Who's this guy? Who's this guy? Like, visually and, like, name-wise, they all blend together with the... Except, like, there are three good character designs in this series, but only one of those characters is in this chapter. Yeah, I I had that with Double Taisei. Like, now Haga is in, like, a coffin and is only allowed to say, I am Haga. I thought that joke kind of worked, I, honestly. It was, it was funny, but, like, it's like, all right, here's Haga and three other, you know... Like, these are, like, the, the Elite Five of yes. the current Shogi world. Yeah, and I just find it weird that the really thing that bugs me about Double Taisei is, like, it, I, it cannot decide whether or not Say is good at Shogi or, or not. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I've never lost to the... Because even Tai was like, I never lost to his sitting king. Or I never won against his sitting king. And then it's like, oh, the sitting king is a useless strategy. W- which yeah. one is it? You stop telling me conflicting things. And like, rather than having people speculate on it, like, inner monologue telling me yeah, well, that yeah. this thing is great. No, this thing sucks. I definitely see where you're coming from. I don't think Double Taste is good. Like I said, I don't think there's any saving it. Yeah. I just thought this chapter was a little better than a bunch of the other ones. Yeah, my Beast Children's not much higher for me. My number 18 was Haikyuu. Mine as well. Volleyball. Stuff's yeah. happening. Yep. There was honestly, one of the things that kind of bugged me was, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's the main character, the short guy. Yeah. Was like, I'm going to make them pay attention to me. And then nothing came of it. Like, they started focusing on a different character. I'm like, well, I, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm just... This volleyball game never ends. Yep. I saw people even talking about that. Like, this one volleyball game went on for, like, 15 chapters or something like that. Because there's so much involved in the characters now. And it just, it sucks to have jumped onto this so long. But it's also 300 chapters deep. So I don't really want to go back and read it all. Not that I don't think I'd enjoy... Well, I probably wouldn't enjoy it because I'm not a huge sports fan. And that's why I don't really want to jump on to the Haikyuu bandwagon. At least from a... I'm not a sports mo- I'm actually just not a sports fan in general. What do um, you have at number 17, Kevin? So my number 17 was Tokyo Shinobi. Mine too. Like, this is also a transition-y chapter, right? Yeah. And it's just like, hey, let's go to these guys and ask them for a favor. No, we won't do you a favor. Please, okay, we will do you a favor. Yep. And it's like, all right, now we're going to go find the bad guy's lair. Cool. I thought, Jin? Yeah. Jin's motorcycle that he uses... He's got, like, a maglev motorcycle that he uses his magnetism to, like, levitate the back end of it. So, like, it looks really weird with, like, it's technically a monocycle because it only has the one wheel. But I was like, that's a pretty cool, like, vehicle design. I do like it. It seems very, very, hey, buy all our toys to me, which is weird because this manga series is so young. I know that's not what it's doing. I know. It just really has that feel to it. it. It does. It was like, hey, this is a really cool looking thing. And it's like, that's not. Generally, that's not a bad idea, especially for a visual medium like manga. Like, hey, look how cool this item is. Like, that's something that could get me hooked. Like, I really like the look of his motorcycle. Or a lot of the time, there's a ton of stuff where people like, I really like his character design. I'm going to keep reading this just because I think the character looks cool. Yeah. So I thought that was okay. It just, 
nothing really happening. No. So my number 16 was Yui Kamiyo. It's a weird chapter of Yui Kamiyo. It's very weird. Like, it feels rushed. Like That's why I, throughout it, I was like, oh, man, is this the end? Like, at least I got to do that one weird horror arc if it is. But, like, this is just like a part one to it. And there's lots of, I don't want to say weird consent issues, but at least they're talking about the stuff that I was complaining about early on. Where he's like, hey, I need to talk to Yui and Black. But she's like, but just last week you were saying that like you'd protect me and I didn't have to be Yui and Black at all. Yeah, but and he's like, listen, I I still totally believe that, but I still need to talk to her. Yeah. Like, I need to ask her a question. And part of it was just very, like, a lot of it was just the fact that it was all very confusing with her not really answering anything. And her just being like, you need me to defeat all the Mushi that are coming after you because you didn't really do anything. I do kind of like that as a conflict, like that Yui and Black doesn't believe in him. I but do, I do, but it's just the it was more annoying because it was like you've been very confusing, and I get that. Like as a character, this makes total sense with her being like, "I come on, you're useless. I'm not. I'm not even going to explain anything to you." But me, the reader, being like, "Yeah, but I need stuff but, explained yeah, to yeah, me. Please explain something for me." Yeah, the reader. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Inner monologue, explain it." I don't care if Ki- uh, Kito, Kyoto, yeah. Knows about it. There's also the weird stuff with Kido's butler in this, where he's got like a drone that he's binding you and Camillo with. And I don't think we've ever seen the butler before. It's I like think he comes we out have, of, but like he's never had lines before. And it just so. kind of came out of nowhere. He was like, "Oh, we're gonna go in here so that you and Camillo can't break out." He's like, and "I then... have to protect the young master." Sorry. Hey, where were you hurting this weird China doll arc, my man? That's exactly the point. It was like the but. <laughs> it's just like in. Common Rider, where it seems like a butler came out of nowhere. <laughs> like maybe we met him. Maybe he mentioned that he had a butler, but it's like all of a sudden they decided, you know what, the butler needs to be a character. I, okay, why? Like I'm here to protect the young master. Again, there have been multiple scenarios where he has been in danger. Where were you then? My number sixteen is science versus magic. We had a pretty long discussion. I'm assuming you have it much higher than me. Yep. The art was good. I do like the boxing aspect to it, but like. The story just felt kind of pointless to me. Gotcha. My number 15 was Beast Children. Even though I'm not a huge sports guy, that's why it's down here. I did kind of like the, you know, we're building the team and this is the this is the standard. All right, we're going to need this kicker guy who's like really amazing, but he doesn't want to do it. So I got to convince him to go do it. Part of why I liked last week's Beast Children so much is it kind of was setting up like a heist movie. Like, because it's building the team is basically a heist movie thing, right? Yeah. And we do get a little bit of that this week, but, like, so many of the characters, I'm just like, who's this? What? Yes. I was also laughing at the main character when they were like, well, we need a kicker. He was like, what? Kicking doesn't involve tackling. And even the some of his other teammates are like, is something wrong with his head? Like, scoring is what matters. Tackling is a big part of it, but scoring is important. And the guy just being like, well, kicking isn't worth it. I have Double Taisei at number 15. Okay. I like the new inter- characters that were introduced in the I Am Haga joke, actually. That was like pretty a, funny. It rule of threes very well. Yes. <laughs> I Am Haga. <laughs> yeah, we hate it. That's called the Taisei Tendo era, don't we? I Am Haga. <laughs> so very good. So my number 14 was Dr. Stone. I actually did like this chapter of Dr. Stone. I actually put it very high, which is tricky because I can't super remember everything that happened this week. I do remember parts of it. Though. The... The main reason that it's down here is I just think I liked stuff a bit more. Like, I definitely did like this chapter. I think part of it, there was a weird, there was just a weird dissonance with, uh, so they find platinum and it turns out that Senku's dad has been gathering, was gathering platinum for decades. 
out of the riverbed like he was panhandling platinum. Yeah, and there's the bit about how they're like, hey, a lot of scientists say if human civilization had to start today, it would fail because we've already used all the easy to acquire resources. Yeah, and so if we restarted, we wouldn't be able to find those easy minerals and wouldn't get to the point where we could extract the harder to extract minerals. I think some of that has to do with the fact that like civilization starting from scratch would be difficult. I definitely like the fact that he was like, well, we're going to try and make it as easy for Senku as possible. Like that was kind of his thought, but Senku will be able to circumvent a lot of the hardship because he's like, well, I can just, you know, skip steps. Yeah. The, the one thing that kind of bothered me was the fact that they mentioned that like 0.01 grams of uh, platinum are found in every ton of earth. And they were like, Oh yeah, it's going to be extremely difficult to find some. I need some about the size of my like fingertip. I'm like, that's, that's a lot of platinum, and he's got this like giant test tube. And I know they were just trying to say it took him a long time, but it just felt to me like panhandling in one stream. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to get you that much. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe he was walking around. Maybe it was the Grand Line, and the entire world flows through that stream. What would you get panhandling the Grand Line? Everything. You would get everything. <laughs> I guess that's true. So, it was like, it, it wasn't that bad, but there was just that little bit of dissonance with like that. Like, that seems like an accurate number, and then they just didn't think too much about the fact that there wouldn't be that much platinum to panhandle in Japan at all. <laughs> yeah. Like. I mean, that's the, like, historical thing about Japan, right? Very small, so not a lot of resources. Yeah. That's part of why they were so good at crafting things, was yep. they could not waste material. I would have liked more that the platinum ended up being, like, a bunch of jewelry or something. Because, like, the world was destroyed, but they land, they crash-landed almost, or they landed again almost immediately. Like, yeah. it's not like they could have raided a jewelry store, and platinum doesn't degrade. Yeah. So, uh, that would have made a lot more sense to me. Like, oh, I wandered around, you know, Ikibukuro and got a bunch of platinum. Like, this was still cool, and I liked the beat, but just that weird dissonance kind of threw it down a little bit for me. At uh, number 14, I have Demon Slayer. Again, Demon Slayer is, like, that's the bottom. Everything above this I liked at least decently. Yeah, Dr. Stone is the bottom of my I liked everything. Yeah. What do you have at Lucky 13? At Lucky 13, I have Black Clover. We have more Dinama with all of the elf characters. One of the dudes brings back Patry, the elf who had been lying about being licked. It's very confusing. Being like, you need to repent for your sins. You don't get to go have your happy ending right now. Yeah, and the bird, the Wizard King's bird, who is actually a girl who, with locking magic, like, gets to stick around with the Wizard King, like, fades away again. Yeah, well, because really, oh. the, she had, like, sealed the Wizard King, so he was able to be resurrected for a little bit, but he kind of crumbles away, versus she was actually, like, she's like, I'm functionally immortal because I, like, locked my own time stream or something probably ridiculous like that like she lived through the, all the intervening years as opposed to the wizard king being a statue. a statue and it was like well i was able to animate for a little bit and i'm glad that i was able to like see see and save my ancestors but it's time for me to go my the opposite of ancestors why can't i think of the word oh my descendants descendants yeah there we go I thought the Dana Ma worked a lot better this week. Maybe just because more of these characters are ones I'm familiar with. I'm not saying that I didn't like it as much, or I liked it less than last week's. Like, it's just down at the bottom again because I think I liked stuff more. I'm just saying why I put it higher. Because at number 13, I have Yui Kamiya. Because I like that dumb kid, but like we talked about, it was kind of a confusing chapter. Lots of stuff came out of nowhere. 
but I do at least like the angle on it. My number 12 was Jujutsu Kaisen. Mine as well. I thought this was pretty cool where we have Gojo Sensei being a hopeless flirt as he sneaks into the one girl's classroom because she's being attacked. And he's like, hey, we need to get out of here now. And so he just like barges in and all the girls are like, wow, he's so hot. It's not even that he's a flirt. It's like everybody is into him. And the teacher's like, hey, all you stop that. And like, you're, you want him too. Yeah, well, th- the reason that I say he's a he's a flirt is she's like, hey, stop that. He's like, thanks a lot. By the way, here's my number. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when everyone's like, hey. And she kind of has the moment of like, you know how hard it is to find a man on a job like this? <laughs> and then we have a cool thing where we get a bit more of the explanation of Gojo's powers, where he essentially can create an infinity of space between him and his opponents so like they can never hit him because there's an infinite amount of space in between their fist and him regardless of how close it actually is and i thought that was pretty cool yeah lots of relativity stuff implied by that that i think is very cool yep i also really like the fact that he's like i'm going to use red line and the guy that he's fighting like puts up his arms to block and then nothing happens and gojo sensei is like nope didn't work that time either (laughs) one day Yep. One day I will master the Kamehameha. Well, I mean, clearly he does later, but it was just yep. very cool to see the moment of him being supremely confident in himself of like, ha! Nope, that didn't work. It kind of reminds me of Luffy when he's practicing his that new hockey technique. The invisible blade stuff. Yeah, and he's like, ha! Nope, that didn't do it. Ha! Nope, that didn't do it. Similar thing, but to me it was like when I was trying to learn fighting games and I couldn't do quarter circle forwards. And yep. sometimes I would get a Hadouken out, but a lot of times it would just be a punch. Yep. Yeah. So what do you have at 11 at at 11? I have Chainsaw Man. Me too, actually. All right. I guess we're on the same page on a lot of this. Like it was good. It wasn't great. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of stuff was better, but I enjoyed it. I like the bit with the future demon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the future uh, is awesome, Kevin. <laughs> and I want to see your future get in my belly. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, I get in my belly. And then I really love he was like, well, I mean, I'm going to see your future and that's going to make that's going to change what your deal is. Like, I'm yeah. going to give you a bargain based on what your future is. And he's like, my bargain is let me live in your right eye because I want to see your future for myself. Yeah. Like, it's going to be awful for you and I want to see it. Yep. If you're if you're wondering why it's so cheap. Yep. So my number 10 was We Never Learn. Cute, funny shenanigans. I like furry furanashi. <laughs> furanashi? Uh, it's fun to say. But there wasn't a whole lot to it. So I just, I put a bunch of stuff higher. I have Black Clover at 10. So, at number nine, I have My Hero. It kind of transition-y. I'm glad we're getting back out of the flashback. Cool stuff was happening, but I'm kind of just like, yeah, this is, like, cool and all, and I'm I'm glad to be a part of this, but I wish it was over now. Like, this would have been much better to read in, like, a sitting, you know, over yeah. a couple of days, like, go through all of these chapters. Like, oh, that was a cool arc, and I think this will be cool in the anime, because it'll be, like, a couple episodes. It'll be, I think it'll be less than an episode, or maybe one. This flashback, I think I'm talking about. Are you talking about the whole arc? I'm talking about the whole... Okay. The, I'm talking about the whole arc probably won't be that long. Probably not. But yeah, this flashback will definitely be less than an episode, as opposed to three chapters, but... At number nine, I have We Never Learn. Just slightly okay. higher than you. At number eight, I have Act Age. I did really like this chapter of Act Age. It just ended up down here. I have Promise Neverland at number eight, because like we said, it was kind of transitioning. Yep. I also enjoyed it, but... The transitionness of it, just put it a little lower. Yeah, it was my number seven. So, my age is my number seven. So gotcha. We just flipped there. My number six was One Piece. I like this chapter of One Piece, but 
I just I like some of the other stuff more. I have Hell's Paradise at number six, mostly because I really like the cliffhanger is a very solid punch that yep. one of the characters lands. But the whole uh, like chapter is them kind of ha- trying to figure out how they're going to fight these Lord Tenson characters that are super powerful and like their best fighter is useless against the one that he has to fight. Yeah, like it was literally because there's five of them. So they're like, well, if you find this guy, you're in your best matchup. And if you find this guy, it's your worst matchup. But the other ones, you would at least be able to like do something. Hell's Paradise was my number five. So uh, a lot of the same reason. I do really like that ending punch where the Lord Tenzin explains his ability, which is pretty sweet, where he essentially builds a Tau armor around him, like this weave of Tau around him. It's like, oh, this is perfectly tied in with my muscles. And it's a suit of armor that doesn't have any weaknesses. And so he's like supremely confident. And he's like, oh, it also sucks that your Tau is like weak against me. So I'm just going to destroy you. And then Gabby Morrow gets that one punch in. Is like, all right, step one is done. And Lord Tenzin's just like, what? <laughs> my number five is my hero academia. I'm very excited to be out of this flashback. And I did like the all for one stuff. Gotcha. My number four was Science V Magic. I just, I really like Murata's drawings. So I really liked a lot of the art. And I wasn't as bothered by the fact that the magic elemental style was really more about martial arts with a little bit of elemental attacks. Like he would shoot fire from his fists and use water to dodge blows, which was pretty cool. But there wasn't, you know, it didn't bother me that he wasn't like also doing earth attacks and lightning attacks. Like if this were a series, I feel like people would master one of the elements kind of avatar style. And having one dude do everything would be a little weird. My number four is Dr. Stone. Like I said, I really liked it. I agree with you about the platinum thing, but at the same time, I just like the emotions. I thought they really worked. Yeah. No, I I really liked it, too. It just it ended up down there because I got hit with that little science thing. My number three was Demon Slayer. I really enjoyed it. Like I said, I really enjoyed the art. I liked, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the Earth Hashira that's showing up, so... I think it's cool to see all the Hashiras getting together and seeing how they're going to fight the Upper Moon. My number three was The Last Sayuki. I liked it, but like I said, it was a bit of a downer. And like it just didn't have a lot of the energy Last Sayuki usually brings. It's still top three material. It's yeah. one of my favorite series every week. But I was a little let down by it, so only yeah. goes at number three. My number two was Samurai 8. Mine as well. It would have been my number one with a bullet, except for that like weird art kind of in the middle. Yeah, and that's really what did it for me, too. I was like, even if it was just mildly confusing, it wouldn't have been as bad. Like, if I was just kind of got lost in a little bit of what was going on, but I was like, why are there three of this guy? And what, like, some of these, I'm very confused what's going on. I'm just sat there staring at the panel going like, all right, so there's one of them, and there's three of them, and there's one of them, and nobody mentions anything. And I'm just... All right. So that that definitely detracted from it a little bit, but it was definitely a really good chapter. So what do you have at number one? So my number one was Last Sayuki. I just thought it was really solid thing. Uh, even though it was a bit of a downer beat, I really liked the emotional moments of like Rinosuke's mom, the thing that broke her out of the coma dream loop was her saying goodbye to Rinosuke, and that's how Kohara was born, and she was born crying. So like. Clearly something weird happens because she spent, you know, like days in there drowning and getting stabbed and eaten and dying in all these horrible ways and not making a sound. It's just very emotional. I have One Piece at number one. I just thought it was a real strong chapter of One Piece. 
It's got Luffy being a tough guy. It's got the Momonosuke doing the Aragorn speech. It's got Zoro being there, still being Zoro. Yep. I just thought the elements really came together. Yep. I do definitely like in One Piece the Momonosuke before he does the Aragorn speech gets kicked out of the sickbay room and like everyone is like, oh, Lord Momonosuke! And then they're all bowing to him. He's like, huh? What? <laughs> uh, oh. I thought yeah. that was pretty good. It's a good comedy beat. Yep. Alright, so that does it for a jump card. So we're going to be talking about the first volume of Toriko after the break. So we read Toriko this week, which, as I've said, is something I've always wanted to read, because it's up there, at least in terms of popularity with Dragon Ball and One Piece. Yep. At least as far as Toei Animation, maybe the worst animation studio on the planet, is concerned. Yeah. Uh, the anime is pretty fun. Like I said, I got part of the way into it. It's still on my list, and it's still near the top of my list of stuff I want to watch. So what did you think of this volume, Kevin? I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. I knew all this story because I had seen all of this in the anime. It's like the first couple of episodes of the anime in this, or, or this volume. Yeah, it seems like this could be two, maybe three episodes. Although I, sa- I said Toei Animation, huh? It's definitely seven episodes, isn't it? No, it's like three. Okay. There's the Garrigator episode... There's an episode with the rainbow fruit, and then there's the one in between that, because he doesn't immediately move, or does he? It might just be the first two episodes. I, that seems like about a correct pace to me. Yeah. So, you talked about last week how it's very Hunter x Hunter-esque, and I knew that going in, but I thought that was kind of a superficial similarity, but actually reading it and knowing this came out in 2008, about 10 years after Hunter Hunter started, I feel like it has to be influenced by that. At yeah, least definitely. The starting point. Because this feels super Hunter Hunter, at least in the way the world's constructed. Yeah. Uh, that kind of didn't do it any favors, though, because I was just comparing this to Hunter Hunter the entire time I was reading it. Gotcha. And it, it's, it ain't no Hunter Hunter. Let me put it that way. No, it's not. But I think Hunter Hunter is phenomenal. So yeah, I, Hunter I, Hunter is very, like I said, the first volume of Hunter Hunter is a perfect unit of comics. One thing I do want to talk about at the start of the volume, the author. Basically talked about that he enjoyed drawing people eating food. So he said he kind of didn't, but then he like thought it was an interesting challenge, and he started to like it. I thought he said he did, or he liked the idea of it, or something like that. I thought that's what it, the way it started. I read it too, as I re- I read it today. I like I recall him being like, oh, it's always tricky to draw people eating," but I started to kind of enjoy it because it was a challenge. So I wanted to draw a manga about that. I thought he said it was interesting to draw people eating like so maybe that's because of the challenge either way that's kind of where this came from and so we start off with the lens character of i don't even remember his name komatsu he is a gourmet chef yep and like and the way that one piece is i said it's very hunter hunter-esque and it is and the way that one piece is a world kind of obsessed with pirates and pirate culture Toriko is a world obsessed with gourmet. Yep. And specifically, like, being the best chef isn't enough, like, in Food Wars. You need the best ingredients, which is where gourmet hunters, gourmet hunters come yeah. in. 
Which is that literally what they're called in Hunter Hunter as well? Yes. That like this almost could be the Hunter Hunter world. Like it feels very similarly constructed. Yeah, and there could... are modern cities and a modern government, but also vast wild areas. Yeah, and a bunch of weird, strange beasts. Like honestly, Toriko could just be a character in Hunter Hunter. Yes. Like, oh, it's Toriko the gourmet hunter that make you know, there he is over there. And we're just like following a side story on him. Yeah. But anyway, the lens character is Komatsu, who is a chef at the gourmet hotel. And like basically his bosses are criticizing him because for this beat big party, he I don't remember what he wants to serve, but like some super good cut of beef. And they're like, oh, that's not nearly a good enough ingredient. We should get the legendary Garada Gator and serve its meat. Yep. Well, he's like, oh, but like, how would we get that? It's capture level five. Yep. And so the guy's like, well, we'll hire a gourmet hunter. And there's only one gourmet hunter who can capture something that's capture level five. So they go to Toriko. And specifically, Komatsu goes himself. And he requests that he be allowed to go with Toriko on the expedition. He says it's at his boss's request. At but, first, yeah. But he later admits that it's because he wants to do it. Like, to become a better chef, he wants to understand the way the ingredients act in their natural habitat because he only ever sees them after they've been butchered and sent to him. Yep. So he's like, I want to learn more about ingredients as well as maybe find new ones kind of thing. Like, I never would have thought to do this. So it does start very similar to Hunter Hunter with the actual main character fishing. Yeah. And he fishes up a super big monster fish that's a gourmet thing. And an eagle snatches it out of the sky and he also catches that. Yeah, he so he's fishing with a uh, piece of steel rebar and some high tensile steel wire. And so he catches the big fish with a giant cricket, and then the big fish gets caught by the eagle, and then he slams the big fish down, knocking the eagle out as well, and being like, excellent, two birds with one stone. Yeah. One of my big problems with this is Toriko is definitely a character in, like, the Goku and Gon mold, where he's just hyper-competent. Yep. But I don't find him to be as interesting as either of those characters. And again, like I said, I was comparing this to Hunter Hunter. Because I feel like it invited those comparisons. Yeah. And the thing about Hunter Hunter is you look at any Hunter Hunter like merchandise, it's going to be marketed with the four air quotes main characters of Gon, Killua, Leorio, and Karapika. Yep. Even though like 50 chapters into the manga, Karapika and Leorio are kind of gone. At least for a huge section. Like Leorio has gone for a giant portion. Yeah. Karapika will show up and have his own adventures sometimes. Yep. I think that just speaks to the strength of Hunter Hunter's characters. Is that even once Karapika and Leorio are gone, like they still leave a huge impression on you? Yep. Where it's like Toriko doesn't at all. Towards the end, he's of this volume, he starts to get some character traits. Yeah. And he like comes out a little better, but it took a long time for me to like kind of like Toriko. And I feel like Komatsu is just a lens. He lines me a lot of like Morty from Shaman King. And that I don't find him to be a particularly interesting character. Yeah. Just like he's the normal guy in contrast to this like super badass because the first two chapters are mostly about like pumping up the stakes and talking about like, oh, this gator is so dangerous and we're going to this super dangerous place and all this just so that when we see Toriko succeed, he like looks like more of a badass. Yeah. But there's no real struggle to any of it. No, he's definitely very overpowered at the start of this. So they mention that he's one of the four heavenly kings. So he's like, from my understanding, he's essentially like one of the four strongest people on the planet. Yeah, or at least the four strongest gourmet hunters. Yeah. Which is like an interesting bit of world building. But really, that's all this first volume seems interested in is world building. Yeah. 
and like it's an interesting world, but it's so similar to the Hunter Hunter one that I can't help but feel like, oh, I've seen most of this before. Yeah, they, there's definitely that comparison. Once Toriko starts to flesh out a little bit, I do start to like him, but most of it's superficial. Like he ends up fighting these troll kongs, which are basically these four armed giant gorillas. Yep. And he knocks them all out, even though they could like get back up and hit him because he's like, no, I only kill things that I eat or that I'm going to sell to someone else to eat. Yep. So he's like, I'm not going to eat them because A, I don't want to, and B, they suck. Yeah, like, they're, well, they're nasty. Yeah, they're, they taste nasty. Like, I'm here for the rainbow fruit. I want to eat that. Also, I don't like eating these things, so I'm not going to kill them. And one thing I did like about that, so they make mention of the fact that, because earlier Toriko captures this, like, dragon thing, and they talk about how difficult it is to do knocking, and, like, you have to have a gourmet hunting license in order to be able to use the the needles and stuff. But the thing I like about it was they mentioned that it's not just the gun. There's also a ton of precision and skill. Like they have to know a lot about their targets in order to use that. I like that from a world building perspective, which like I said, is what this is interested in. I liked it showed in the art too. Every time he used knocking, he hit the exact same spot on the troll Kongs. It was their left shoulder, like every time left shoulder, which I thought was really cool to see them mentioning Oh, yeah, there takes a lot of precision, and, like, every single time he hit basically the same spot on the Troll Kong, which I thought was cool. Yeah, and since I'm being pretty critical of Toriko, I should take this chance to mention the art, especially... Uh, the art in a lot of the scenes is just, like, it's it's Shonen Jump manga art. Of course yep. it's good, but it's nothing special. But the fight scenes really are good. There's a ton of motion line and a ton of motion in them, but everything is still super clear. Yep. So I should say that... I do understand why this took off from at least that perspective. At the very least, the artist is great at drawing action. Yeah. And Toriko's like goal in life is to create like a full course meal for himself of all the best foods. And not and, not specifically just for him, but he's going to create the perfect full course meal is his goal. Like it's not just like I'm going to eat this and no one else. It's more like I'm going to create this thing to share with people. There's no emphasis on this is for me in this volume, but there's also no, like, this is to share either. Yeah. Like, that, it's just, it's what he wants to do. And it's like, he's such a glutton that I assume it's for himself, but I don't assume that he's going to be like, and no one else shall eat it. Ha ha. Because yeah. he's a shonen character, but I don't think he's like going to put this at the menu places. That said, his new chef friend probably will. And I don't think Turk is going to be like, no, you can't do that. Well, at the same time, it's also going to be both ridiculously expensive and like, there's only one rainbow fruit tree and it only blooms like once every seven years or something ridiculous like that. So they're like, it will be extremely difficult to even get any of the things like even with money being no object, it can't be done. We can't do it kind of thing. And that's another thing. I'm not like super critical of this. It's just something I couldn't help but notice. Toriko spends a lot of time like negotiating his fees up, but I don't really understand what he needs money for. Like, to continue his career, sure, like he is, and this is a business, and it does seem like things like his gun for knocking things out are expensive, but, like, he does his own hunting. So, like, I understand that, like, he's a big foodie, so he probably spends it on food, but he seems to prefer, like, capturing his own things and preparing I'm, them, so. Yeah, I'm assuming he does it, he, like, spends it on travel, probably, like, upkeep on his house. Oh, Toriko lives in a candy house. Yeah, and that's a cool idea. Again, it's a world-building idea. Yeah. But. It is cool, and it kind of makes the world a bit goofier than, say, Hunter Hunter. It's not that Hunter Hunter doesn't have goofy stuff, but that seems like it would totally clash with Hunter Hunter a little bit. Yeah, it, Toriko definitely feels a bit more goofy and silly. But yeah, it 
even then, like when he was negotiating the fees, a big part of the fee was him getting one of the fruits that he yeah. took. So he was like, even though it's worth a ton of money, I want the fruit, not the money. Well, and that really. super makes sense to me. But yep. the first story where he's tracking down the gator, he's like, uh, yeah, so this is a problem. This is a problem. So I won't do it unless you double my fee. Yeah, but he also doesn't specifically mention what his fee is. Like, it's assumed that it's a bunch of money, but, like, he doesn't seem super interested in material wealth at the same time. Yeah, exactly. And I guess what you're saying is, hey, maybe he's not asking for money, which makes sense, but that's what I want to see explored. Because it doesn't seem like Toriko needs money, or, like, wants money. I shouldn't say needs money, because he's still a person. Yeah, also, it might be, like, even with Komatsu... It might be paying chefs like he likes eating his own. He likes hunting his own food, but he's not the greatest chef in the world. So he might be like with the garrigator. They just like grilled it essentially. And he was like, oh, that was good. But he probably does pay chefs like, hey, I caught this thing. Prepare it for me. Yeah. And I like that idea, too. I just want to see it explored instead of and maybe, having to like come up with these ideas, you know? Well, maybe it will be like he had Komatsu prepare the rainbow fruit. He didn't just start eating the fruit. And it also makes a ton of sense for a sidekick to be a chef for that reason. Yeah. And I think some stuff can be done with that. I'm just saying that like as a first volume, it didn't super grab me. But again, given just the strength of the art, I can I, I wouldn't if this was showing up in Shonen Jump right now, I wouldn't be like, oh, this is probably on the chopping block. Yeah. It would just be sort of middle-ish under a bunch of stuff that I like way more. Yeah. And I'd be like, I hope this improves. Well, and it, it probably will. I know it, but, but I, I judge volumes of manga on a different level than chapters of manga though. Yeah. I'm like I want them to be whole units in a way. Not like completed stories, but completed and, sections at least. And I want first volumes to really draw me in and make me go, Oh, I want the next one. And that happens more often than not. But with this one, like by the end I was liking it a little bit more, but it wasn't a lot of volumes make me think, Oh, I wish I was reading the next one right now. Even stuff we I've said isn't my favorite, like Yoamusha Petal, for example. Mm-hmm. At the end of that, I was like, oh, it's really hard not to just keep reading. I didn't have that feeling with Tarka. Gotcha. I still did. I still wanted to read it. I don't feel like they need to be as completed stories sometimes, because I feel like sometimes the first volume, it's just the way that the chapters first started coming out. Like, when we were talking about Soul Eater last week. I found out later that all of the the first three prologues were one shots. And so they were kind of just collected in the volume of like, these were the first chapters that came out. It's not necessarily because in order to make them a completed story, you would have to sit down and be like, this is how I want to start the manga. And sometimes writers don't have that idea. So they have a cool idea and they're just kind of like rolling with it. And it takes a little bit of time to get going. Yeah, but I want the idea to be so cool that I'm like, oh, I want to see where this goes. And with Toriko, it just isn't. Like, the gourmet hunter thing is, like, an interesting spin. And it gives him a goal and has a very monster hunter feel. But like I said, I just have the feeling of, like, this isn't bad, but I have seen this stuff before. And why would I not just read the second volume of Hunter x Hunter? Yeah, well, maybe you already have. Well, yes. And, like, certainly there's something to be said for novelty. And like I said, if this was in Shonen Jump right now, I wouldn't be as critical of it. Yeah, and for me, it's just the, like, I do understand the, uh, well, why wouldn't I just keep doing this thing? But at the same time, it's like, well, this could be a, maybe you didn't get into Hunter x Hunter for whatever reason. Or, all right, I already read all of Hunter x Hunter, now I want to start reading this thing. Like, it's something, it's kind of similar, but not the same. Because Toriko is 
an extremely powerful character in the story or in the setting versus Gon. Like Gon and Killua are like very explicitly not. Yeah, they're you know they're still extremely competent, but they're not. I'm one of the four strongest people on the planet. Yeah, I suppose at the end of the day, what it is is I just felt like there wasn't enough conflict, like for me to relate to Toriko. Yeah, and I think that that always is one of the problems with overpowered main characters. Like it's a very similar thing that happened with One Punch Man. And I think the main reason that that really started kicking off was it started out as a webcomic and then very much later got adapted into the manga. And so all the webcomic readers who got used to it as just something to click on once, it, you know, however often it came out, like, oh, there's a new page out, got really into the story later on because it's much easier, especially with webcomics like that, if you don't have to pay for the content, you're like, well, I can just keep, you know, oh, oh yeah, it's time to read this thing. I thought it was... That panel a week ago was funny. It'll just keep going. And like the conflict in One Punch Man is it's a lot of it is internal. A lot of it is kind of Saitama versus society, for lack of a better word. Like Saitama's fights with the monsters have the same like blase feeling. But like Saitama get like not having a high hero rank because he failed the written. Yeah, but that, is a conflict. Yes, but what I mean is that doesn't show up in the first no, it volume. And but like his internal conflict of oh, I'm so bored does. Yeah, but it's it's not explored that much. That's just what I'm saying. In the first volume, there's there's not that much of the conflict. It's explored a lot later. Not a lot later, but it, it's explored later. Like, Janos doesn't even show up until the very end. Yeah, I guess, like, what I'm saying, and like this is a treatise that I go in with a lot of stuff, is I feel like a first volume's job is to show me, why is this series cool? Why should I keep reading? And I feel like Toriko failed at that. At the same time, I think it also depends on how... I think we're we get media differently than Japan. Well, sure, we do, but I'm not criticizing it from that angle. Yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to say that even though the first volume might be a little bit more boring, it's kind of like I can't. We don't have an analogy here, but actually, it's kind of like pilot episodes and how when you think about it, for a lot of TV shows, pilot episodes are almost completely different than the premise of not almost always, but occasionally have a completely different feel than the rest of the series. Well, sure, but I feel like they still have a way to hook you and tell you this is why it's good. Like, I'm going, if you listen to my other podcast, I'm going through the Kingdom Hearts series right now, and the first Kingdom Hearts game really feels like a pilot. A lot of the ideas from the series aren't there yet, but at the same time, it does a good job of telling you, hey, this is what's good about this series. This is why you should come back for the other nine games. Yeah, well, in this one, it's the really cool action scenes. Like, hey, you yeah. like watching Toriko fight giant monsters? Here we go. That is true. And, like, I can't take away that the action is super good. Is there anything else you want to say about Toriko, Kevin? Not really. Like I said, I enjoyed it. It makes me want to watch the anime more. All right, then. Let's go ahead and rank him on personality power level. Vegeta, what does the scouter say about his power level? Personality power level is the list where we rank manga characters from best to worst. At the top, we have Uzumaki Naruto from Naruto. At the bottom, we have that guy who ain't Yamcha from that time I got reincarnated as Yamcha. And dead in the center, we have Red from Pokemon Adventures, who I think is pretty comparable to Toriko. But I think we should start with Goku, since he's so clearly in that mold. Yep. And I think, are we in agreement that he's definitely not as good as Goku? At least at the moment, yes. I'm sure he gets flushed out a lot more later on, because I know there's, there's definitely conflict. It's not just him fighting giant monsters for, I don't know how many chapters Toriko is, but it went going for a while. 
Yeah, I know it's a pretty long running series. So, so clearly something else happens. Like I think it's something happens that kind of not takes away his livelihood, but like he suddenly doesn't have the freedom to just run around and hunt whatever he wants. So I think there's a lot of more character development there, but I don't know what it is. So, well, I mean, and that's why this is a list where we can move characters when we go to other volumes. Yeah, because certainly so, they can improve and change. How do you think he compares to Ichigo from Bleach? Because I don't like him as much as Ichigo, who's a character that we kind of dunk on a bit, and I would put him below, but I think that's about the right spot. Yeah, that does sound right. There's not a whole lot to Toriko either. I like, I do like some of his, you know, his ideal of like, I'm not going to kill anything unless I'm going to eat it. That's pretty cool. His dream is to make the perfect full course meal. But other than that, he's like really just the I'm the combat badass. It's like very early Saitama would also be I'm super strong, but just bored. And like, that's his only character trait. And he starts developing as the series goes on, obviously. But very, I have a very similar thing of Toriko's like, yeah, I'm this combat badass, but like, I just like hunting monsters and eating them. Uh, since you mentioned him, how do we think he compares to Saitama? Uh, I like Saitama more because I know more about Saitama as he... He has to put up with a lot more stuff, and I definitely like how he does not fall into the trap of, even though society hates me and thinks that I'm a cheater and constantly turn against me, I still have my heroic ideals at heart, like the hero is here to save people. I'm not here to make, I'm not here to get famous, I'm not here to make money, I'm not here to... Have fun. Although he kind of is. (laughs) He kind of is, but he's like... He's he's here to find strong opponents too. Like I want the thrill of combat, but even then he always steps up to save the day. And sometimes that involves him kicking himself down. There's a great there's a ton of great scenes where it's like other heroes are kind of trying to shame him because they're like, Oh, there's no way this guy's like C class there because of he failed the written test. So he's he's just ranked wrong and people keep thinking that he's cheating when uh, he is, but he's cheating because he's so ridiculously powerful. And he just kind of like dunks on himself like when he fights Seeking, he's like, ha, make sure to thank all those other or make sure to give all the credit to me. I'm the guy who took this dude down. I wouldn't have been able to do it without the other heroes because they were starting to turn on the other heroes like oh, maybe heroes aren't that worth it. This C-class dude took this dude out. What is the point of these A and S-class heroes? And he immediately turned that around to be like, no, we need society to still enjoy their heroes. So I just, I really like that about Saitama, and I don't have that for Toriko. Right below Saitama is another character you really like, uh, which is Sora from No Game, No Life. I think I like Sora a little bit more, too. Again, I think that the main problem is I don't know much about Toriko. Right below Sora, we have Yo from Shaman King, and I think Toriko's got a little bit more going on than Yo. Yeah. With his, like, his morals, his, like, kind of eco-friendliness in a weird way, and his goals. Yeah. I think he's a little stronger than Yo. So I think that's where we should put him, number 30 out of 40. Yeah, that's fine. So Toriko will go above Yo Asakura from Shaman King and below Sora from No Game, No Life. So next week, we are going to have a guest on, Zach, from my other two podcasts, last time on video games, and it's a Gundam, and he wanted to read Claymore. So that's what we're going to be reading next week. Our website is www.lastpodcast.com. That's where you can see our personality power level wrist, as well as check out my other two podcasts. We just posted uh, the episode of It's a Gundam about my favorite episode of Gundam Seed. So if you're at all curious about that podcast, I would say check that one out.
Our opening theme is Fighting Against One's Will by Midair Machine. Our closing theme is A Psychic Fist Fight by Tom W. Emmerich. Other music on the show is by Spectacular Sound Productions. And our album art is by Kate Wind on DeviantArt. Is there anything you'd like to plug, Kevin? Not this week. All right. We'll see you next week. Have a good one. opening thing is fighting against one's will by midair machine our is closing it? theme is a psychic fist bite by tom w emmert right i for some reason i second guessed myself i, I listened you, to this you a lot you edited it. i know